we, we have three weeks to cover these parenting seminars. Today will be um, really just kind of general overview, God's Word, our aim, um, how we, we hope this serves as a, a means of help to parents in the life of Grace Church. And um, we, uh, we, we want to save time in, in each of these for some Q&A and quite honestly the next two weeks, not today, but the next two weeks. Uh, I'm glad we got round tables in here because uh, in the next two weeks we'll break up to, to the round tables and have some discussions with, with families. Um, about nine months ago, if you saw the church center post this morning, about nine months ago, um, the elders were just kind of mapping through a calendar for the 2023 year. And in doing so, uh, knowing that our grow, our discipleship hour for June and July was going to be uh, everybody in the same room. Um, we aimed at a, a couple of sets of seminars. Um, today is the beginning of a three-part parenting seminar that we're, we're hoping uh, serves, serves you well. I want to pray for our time together, and then uh, I have a short little story that I want to read, and then uh, we'll try to jump into some of the content today and, and really get our, our hearts and minds uh, stirring on the subject of, of parenting. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll, just, we'll just jump right in. Father, we just ask for your help. Lord, let us, um, in a way that honors you, take a biblical survey of the way that you love us as a father and how you are gentle and tender with us. Father, I pray that we would also see the call as a church to shepherd little ones and how you've called this entire congregation to invest the gospel in our young people and that call is especially heavy on parents with little ones in the home teenagers and even young adults that we're seeking to raise in a way that honors honors you so lord help us as we work through these next three weeks to really see what your word has to say concerning parenting. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I tell my story, um, before I tell the story in a second, I just want to acknowledge my favorite table in the room. All right? My favorite table in the room is in the back here, sitting in front of the Nashes, so Matt and Cassie don't get excited. I'm talking about the table in front of you. Yeah. Um, this whole seminar is for tables like that. This is why we're here. And listen to me. If you're sitting at that table or you're uh, a student, uh, a child sitting at another table, I want you to know two things. One, I'm about to give you a lot of our secrets as parents. I'm just going to put it all on the table. So you're going to learn some of our parenting secrets. But more important than learning our parenting secrets, I want you to know, if you're one of the children in this room, I want you to know why mom and dad and other adults in this church care so much about you, care so much about you, and how we want God's help in teaching you and raising you in a way that glorifies God. That's, that's what we want. So you're the most important people in the room today. I know that that may inflate the little egos, but uh, you are. Um, we, we want to raise you in a way that uh, is pleasing to the Lord. Well, here's a Here's a little story that, um, that I wrote. It's just imagining. My guess is that most of us have had some kind of experience like this as a parent or adult in interacting with young children. Now, I know this is not the way that we operate all the time, but with that in mind, let me, let me, let me read. Listen, son, I'm saying this to you as you lie asleep. One little paw crumpled up under your cheek and your blonde hair stickily wet on your damp forehead. I have quietly entered into your room. Just a few minutes ago, as I sat scrolling through my phone, a stifling wave of remorse swept over me. With guilt, I came to your bedside. There are things I was thinking. I have been cross to you. 
I have scolded you as you were dressing for school because you didn't brush your teeth yet. I took you to task for not making your bed. I called out angrily when you threw some of your things on the floor. At breakfast, I found fault too. You spilled things. You chewed food with your mouth open. You put your elbows on the table. You put too much jelly on the bread. And then when you put the knife into the peanut butter jar, you put jelly in the peanut butter jar. And as I headed to the door for work, you waved with one hand and called out, Bye, Daddy. And I frowned and said in reply, Don't, bake, don't make a big mess with those Legos. Then it began all over again in late afternoon. As I came up the road, I saw you down on your knees playing in the dirt. There were holes in your new jeans and you weren't wearing any shoes. I humiliated you by reprimanding you in front of your friends. Jeans weren't cheap after all. And if you had to buy them, you would be more careful. Do you remember later when I was watching the game on television, how you came in timidly with a sort of hurt look in your eyes. When I glanced briefly, impatient at the interruption, you hesitated across the room as I said, do you need something? You said nothing but ran across in one wild plunge and threw your arms around my neck and your small arms tightened with affection that God had set blooming in your heart, which even my selfish neglect could not wither. Then you were gone, pattering up the stairs. Well, son, shortly afterwards, that terrible, sickening fear came over me. What has habit been doing to me? The habit of finding fault, reprimanding. This was my reward to you for being a boy. It was not that I did not love you or even that I expected too much from you. It was that I wasn't mindful of the aim of fatherhood in those moments. I was parenting from my own inadequacies. I was trying to train you in a way that would help me save face. I was parenting your behavior with hope that it would match what I want you to look like as a young adult. There was so much that was good and true and right about your actions and character. Your little heart was big as life itself, bounding freely out into the day. This was shown by your spontaneous impulse to rush and give me a hug tonight. I've come to your bedside in the darkness, and I've knelt here ashamed. I know that you wouldn't understand these things if I told them to you during your waking hours. But tomorrow, I hope to be a real dad. I'll be present. I'll play with you. I'll suffer when you suffer and laugh when you laugh. I'll bite my tongue when impatient words come. I will assure you of my love. I will give you my hearty approval to the things you enjoy. I will speak words of affirmation. I will initiate affection towards you. I will make you feel safe. I will encourage your spontaneity and free spirit. And I will fan the flames of childhood while instructing you with words of encouragement. And I will seek to shepherd your heart toward Christ, not only with words, but with my actions. So as I see you now, son, crumpled and weary in your bed, I see that you're still a boy. Yesterday, you were in your mother's arms, your head on her shoulder. But you are growing up so fast. And I fear, as your father, that I will not be able to train you adequately for the difficult days ahead. God help. Perhaps the story jogs some old memories. Perhaps it stirred up maybe some of your own sadness and remorse of sad days gone by where we didn't parent well. Maybe you feel guilt and shame. I'm not sure what emotion may be in your heart at the moment, but I do know that we all have days and moments like this to navigate as parents. But I don't want you to be discouraged. I know every day's not like that. Not for me, not for you. I want you to be encouraged that we have one another to wade through the parenting waters together. As I said about nine months ago, the pastors etched out on the calendar of events not just what we would preach on Sundays, but even these seminars 
set apart for the first three weeks in June to encourage you as a church on the subject of parenting. So here's where we want to go uh, in the next few weeks. Today is Parenting with Gospel Aim. We'll hit that. Uh, today I'll have a lot more content than the next two weeks and less discussion, though I hope to save some time for Q&A at the end. Uh, I'll be on a tight schedule. But June 11th, you can see Parenting Through Gender Chaos. I won't go into much detail, but you can see where we're going there. And then Parenting Through Social Pressures, and I'm thinking in particular, uh, one of the things, at least, is social media. Uh, you would be amazed how often that's a parenting subject at my house. Um, and I'm sure if you have teenagers, you would probably not be so surprised. Well, with that being said, I, I, I do want to jump in to today. This is one of those moments, um, I told Angie this week, I would rather teach 10 sermons, verse by verse through God's word, than to try to tackle the subject of parenting for the next three weeks with you. And I still mean it right now as I'm sitting in front of you. Um, I feel underqualified to teach the subject that I'm presenting. Uh, I, I Honestly, it, it's not false humility. I have a wake of parenting mistakes in my past. And by God's grace, I think he's using those to... Help me, Father, now. You may not know, but today is day number two in my life as a parent of a 20-year-old son. I have two days' experience in shepherding 20-year-old sons in my home. And I'm already afraid. What if my instructions or advice proves detrimental? What if I'm too lenient? or too harsh. But then the Lord, as he always does, faithful, gentle, calms my nerves regarding these moments. And even now as I'm putting a seminar together, the goal is not to relay how the Smiths have done well, nor to confess how terrible we've been over the years, but rather to ask for help from the Saints of Grace Church in our parenting and to encourage you to do the same. Let's build together a culture within Grace Church of helping and encouraging one another in our parenting with a single aim in mind. I do want to give uh, uh, what that aim is. Here is our aim from these three seminars. To glorify God, right? We, we want Him to be glorified first and foremost. How? Do we hope that that happens through this seminar? By guiding our children to a saving faith in Christ. And then that really is divided into two parts. Through the faithful proclamation of the gospel, that's essential. And by the faithful shepherding of their souls as parents. And we want to develop a parenting culture. I already said that. Like, let's help one another. Let's be encouragers. Let's help one another to raise our children, to be parents. We want to build a congregational parenting culture by openly helping and encouraging one another toward gospel-aimed parenting. You're not on an island. You're not the only ones parenting. You don't have to do this by yourself. And to say it in a positive way, perhaps you've struck a gold mine. You've found things that really have worked as parents. And we want you to encourage others with those kind of things. I do want to also give a, a, a couple of warnings in building a parenting culture. All right? When we seek to build a, a, a culture in parenting, sorry, I'm going to stand for a little bit. One of the things that we want to do is as we approach each other, as we come to one another for encouragement. We want to do so with humility in mind. And that's really a, a two-way street. I've got my notes out of order here, so you've got to give me a second. It's really a two-way street. We're all tempted to see our kids through rose-colored glasses. Sometimes we're tempted the other way, to be quite honest. It can happen uh, where we're just so hard on our own kids, where we'll show grace to others. So you could end up on either side, but it seems like we tend to fall on the rose-colored glasses side more often than not. 
And sometimes we miss what is in plain sight regarding our children. And if this church is going to try to build a culture of humility in our parenting openly and together to encourage one another, it means being willing to both approach others rightly and to receive others' approaches rightly. If I see behavior in someone else's kid that seems like that's detrimental and it's reoccurring, it would be wrong not to come and say something. And if I'm unwilling to do that, I'm unwilling to invest in the, the spiritual health of your child. That would be wrong of me. But there's also a way to approach with brashness, with a, without a lack of humility. And we want to be humble on both sides of the coin, right? We, we want to be able to make the right approach to people if we see something, but let's not, let's not worry about this speck in everybody else's eye, right? When the plank is in our own, perhaps we have parenting faults or mistakes. Perhaps there's behavior among our own children that we just don't see. And we should receive those concerns from others with the same kind of grace and humility that we should approach one another. We'll be tempted to see parenting faults of others while missing the same or similar flaws in our own children. We often bring up our own children in the very path that we denounce to others. So we just want to be weary of that. We want to be wary of that, not weary. We want to make sure that we're on guard. And we want to watch our own houses closely before we attempt to try to address others about their children, right? All our houses, all of our children are vulnerable to um, living out life in sinful ways. And um, we, should, we should certainly watch our own house before we address others, but we shouldn't be fear of, uh, we shouldn't let the fear of hypocrisy prevent us from speaking openly to one another, all right? Those are just a couple of dangers that I want us to be, or one of them. The second one is leave room for diversity, right? If we're going to build a culture where we help and encourage one another, um, we're not trying to make replications of one house to the other. Everybody's parenting strategy and style doesn't have to be identical. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. We're just trying to encourage one another. We're trying to help one another. And um, if, if you don't parent like the Smiths, great. What you're doing is probably working. Um, and that doesn't mean that we ought to mimic you or you ought to mimic us. Um, but what we do want to do is encourage one another to parent in a way that honors the Lord. So those two warnings aside, again, our aim is to glorify God by guiding our children to faith, to saving faith in Christ through a faithful proclamation of the gospel and by faithfully shepherding their souls as parents. I'll be honest with you, the, one of the primary guides in today's um, seminar is J.C. Ryle's Duties of Parents. Um, I'm going to lean on him pretty heavily. There's uh, a handful of books. I meant to bring them with me this morning and I forgot, but uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book, Raising Children God's Way. Uh, it's really helpful. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, take a look at it. Uh, a lot of you are familiar. Our church tries to put in the hands of every new parent a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart uh, by Ted Tripp. We highly recommend that book. Uh, it, it, it was massively beneficial to the Smiths and very shaping in how we have conversations with our kids. And then uh, probably the most uh, formative for myself is this book, Duties of Parents by J.C. Ryle. It's a very small read, which was probably why it was the most forming. Uh, I, I tend to tackle smaller books with small chapters uh, a lot better than I do larger books. And so it's one that I've found a lot of help in. We're going to look at today um, Proverbs 22, 6, which is a familiar verse, I'm sure, for most of us. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. And really, J.C. Ryle's book is um, written out of that. Now, in J.C.'s book, um, me and J.C. are close, right? So I'm going to use his first two initials as his name. Ten Practical Ways of Successful Parenting. He actually has 17. I've, I've added one and consolidated some of his in ways that were helpful to me that I hope uh, will be helpful to you as well. So we're going to look at today ten practical ways 
I hope to save time at the end for some Q&A, not for me to answer questions, but for us to perhaps answer questions uh, from one parent to another. Number one of uh, the 10 practical ways of successful parenting is this, train your children. Now, every one of these points is going to be train your children in a particular way, but you can't do two through 10, the next nine, if we're not intent or purposeful about the first one. It says, train your child in the way they should go, not the way they would go, right? In the way that they should go. If we leave it up to our kids and their sin nature, they're going to go the way they would go, not the way that they should go. Not one child in this room, if left to their own devices and own decision-making, would go the right way. It simply would not happen. They all would choose sinfully, poorly, unwisely. Remember, children are born with a decided bias towards evil. And therefore, if we let them choose themselves, they are certain to choose wrongly. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says this, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. It is important, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I'm not going to give you numbers and statistics and all those things, but I will say that if there's no form of discipline in the home, you're not doing your children any justice. That doesn't help. They aren't helped by that. And it may be the easy path for the moment, or the day, or the year, but in the long run, it will certainly come back to haunt you. And it will be to their detriment. We ought to chain our children in a way that is scriptural and right. And one of the most familiar scriptures is sitting on the screen right now. That, the rod of discipline that we've, we've heard about. Now, again, I'm not going to venture far off into this conversation. But I will say um, that I certainly don't think that um, the wording in this verse is by accident. I think the rod of discipline is actual. Um, and I do believe that it would be detrimental to never um, use the rod of discipline on your children. Now, we all know there's abuses of that, and sometimes there's other forms of punishment that are more, um, uh, more corrective or more devastating for the kid. Uh, I know as they get older, uh, you take away some form of electronic whatever, uh, you can wreck a kid for days, right? And... The, the old leather belt will do very little at, at that point. And, and I think it would be unwise, and I do think there is an age, and it's a lot younger than, uh, than, uh, than I think most of us imagine. If we use the rod well in the early days, then uh, we can stop using that rod at a, at a, a lot younger age as well. Um, so there's other forms of discipline, but uh, the main point is discipline can remove foolishness from, from a child. The second thing that we want to uh, see is to train your children in love. So we, we have to train. There has to be a plan. There has to be training. Now we want to talk about what that looks like. Train your children in love. I, I don't mean to spoil your children, but I do mean that you should let them know that you love them. Love should be the silver thread that runs through all your parenting. Wooing, drawing, Winning our children is far more effective than persuading them with fear and intimidation. Making your children afraid of you is dangerous. Uh, it, 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 it may work in that moment. You may get the desired behavioral, behavioral result that you want through fear and intimidation. But in the long run, uh, you're going to be creating things in them that are detrimental. There is a time for firm instruction, that rod of discipline for consequences. But if this is our primary means of parenting, we'll ultimately create what I believe is willful resistance rather than willing obedience. Sternness and severity will ultimately shut the hearts of children and forced obedience will lead to legalism in their life. Ephesians 6.4, a verse familiar to a lot of men, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
the fathers who miss this verse, miss the reality, what this verse is communicating, I'll be honest with you, they wreck their families. A father who doesn't know how to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without provoking their children to anger do a lot of damage in the home. Tenderness is necessary in parenting. Show them affection. Show them affection without instruction. Show them infection. Show them affection during instruction. And most certainly show them instruction after instruction or punishment. I can remember as a child, uh, I felt like my dad was stern on a lot of things. But one of the things that I remember is time and time again, after being disciplined, my dad would always come into the room and sit beside me or lay beside me and express that he loved me. To this day, that has had a very significant effect on my life. I feel loved. I, I, I got punished quite a bit. Uh, I can tell some horror stories of some whippings I got. And there was never doubt in my mind that my father loved me because he expressed that affection before instruction, during instruction, and after instruction. And I believe that's important. We must also instruct with patience. We must not expect all things at once. As parents, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is impatience. Is impatience. Expecting that they're going to change all at once. Praise God that our Heavenly Father has not approached us with that. He's slow to anger, right? He's patient. He's kind. Teach them as they are able to hear, as they're able to understand. Show them. Show them what you want. Shepherd with tenderness, affection, patience. Or, to be honest, if those things are absent, your labor is in vain. You may, again, correct behavior for a season, but you won't be shaping the child in a God-honoring way. God shepherds his children in those manners with tenderness and affection. God is not short on discipline. Not one time has God fallen short in discipline. He is a God who disciplines. He says he disciplines those he loves. So God disciplines without fail. God disciplines. And yet, he abounds in love. And our parenting should look like that. Number three, train your children with grace. Now, there's some overlap with training your children in love and training your children with grace. J.C. Rawls says this about grace. Grace is the strongest of all parenting principles. Uh, I found that interesting. He says grace makes crooked things right. The only thing stronger than the old sin nature that we're all born with, and I'm thinking right now in particular our children, they're born with those sin natures. The only thing stronger than the sin nature is the grace of God in the life of that same individual. Right? We're born with sin in us, and that sin will drive us. It will drive us. It will raise up its ugly head and cause us to do all kinds of things. And our experience with that certainly testifies to what I'm saying. And if that doesn't work, go look at Romans 7.21. That will remind you what's inside you, right? Our kids are born with that same sin nature. And the thing that will remove that sin nature and change their behavior, heart change, right, is God's grace. We ought to parent our children with grace in the same measure that God has extended grace to our own hearts. So in a lot of parenting instances... The thing that we ought to be thinking when our child has acted out in disobedience, needs correcting, needs us to respond is, how can I speak to them in God's grace right now? How can I be gracious to them? Not ignoring discipline. Discipline with grace in mind. Number four, train your children through education. I want to be clear on this one. So, Uh, I'm going to try to use my my words carefully here. Following our old nature, that sin nature, and grace's ability to change the heart, I do think the most shaping influence that we have on our children is how we educate them. Now, I'm not talking about formal education right now. I'm talking about us educating our children. Our character, 
the character of a child, takes form of that mold into which our first years are cast. So much happens in the early development of children. Very early, including in the womb. Our early education is dependent on those who bring us up. Listen, the greatest hope that your children have is what you invest in the early years. Before they can mentally comprehend the gospel, how you physically, emotionally, verbally love them begins to present a picture of authority for them and how they ought to obey and respond and how they're shaped. It's so important, those formative years. Science and research backs this up over and over again. Even ones that are outside of uh, Christianity would tell you that these early years are so formative. That those early impressions tracing back to the seed sown in infancy hold massive sway in the long-term development of a child. So see to it then, as much as you're able to invest in your children in those formative days, that you do so with love and grace. That's what they ought to taste. That's what they ought to know from you. This is as much about actions and tones of voice than it is the words that you use or the knowledge that you give them. Children will catch a large part of your posture, demeanor, how you behave, and remember very little about the content that you share with them in those young days. Number five is this. Train your children with their soul in view. Train your children with their soul in view. True love considers the soul. No interest should weigh so much as the thought of their eternal well-being. This is the thought that should be in your mind in all that you do as a parent. Everything that we do should run through this ring right here. This consideration ought to come in all that we do. In everything that you plan, arrange, don't leave out this question. How will this affect their soul? How will this affect their soul? Everything that you do as a parent ought to run through that test. Again, I mentioned the book Shepherding a Child's Heart that Ted Tripp wrote. It is a great book on this point in particular. Training your children with their soul in view. Uh, I highly recommend it if you haven't read it uh, or if it's been a while, read it again. Uh, we can allow our children to be enamored with the things of this world but if we are to train them for heaven, we have to be very careful about what comes into the home, what comes through their eyes, what enters through their ears. We have to be very careful. There's things that they can participate in, but we have to be very careful. We have to be very particular. We have to think about their soul when we consider what comes into our home. We should consult one another about the norms of the world. Listen, um, I, I'm thankful that uh, Angie and I aren't on our own, that we can have conversations with other families in the life of Grace Church about what are you letting your kids do or how are you handling this? Uh, if, I, if I begin to list how many times we've had that conversation with other parents, um, I have another pastor friend in, in the area who has kids about the same age and it seems like once or twice a month we're having conversations about parenting uh, with one another uh, because I can't figure it all out. I need help. And um, the world is coming quick and fast with a thousand things that can grab our kids' attention. And to be honest, um, trying to sort through what's permissible, what's harmful, what's beneficial, uh, it's not always so black and white. Some of it is. Some of it is no-brainer, but not all of it is. And so we need help making sure that everything that we do is in our training of our children is with their soul in mind, with their soul in view. Number six, I'm going to try to finish in the next 10 minutes, save the last 15. Train your children in the knowledge of the Bible, in the knowledge of the Bible. We, we can't make our children love God's Word. The Holy Spirit has to give them the ability to delight in God's Word. And I trust that God is not only able, but will do that. This delight in God's Word will be one of the markers or evidences of their true joy in Christ, of His salvation in their life. 
you know, a lot of times it, it's not easy trying to discern. We, we all want our children to put their faith in Christ and to walk faithfully with Him. But it's hard sometimes to discern have they done that or not because we've been telling them the truth. They can regurgitate to us the truths of the Bible. They can even tell us with clarity what the gospel is. But, but is there a desire, a hunger, a delight in God's Word? I think that's one of the markers that we ought to be able to identify and others should be able to identify that in our kids before we uh, heartily uh, uh, proclaim that they are in Christ. We certainly want to fan those flames, encourage them, uh, but I do believe that's one of the markers. But we can. We can't force them to love God's Word, but we can make sure that they're well acquainted with the Bible. And this should be a part of that early education that I spoke of earlier. We should make sure that a big part of education, whatever your formal route of education might be, regardless of what path you've chosen, parents ought to instill a scripture-first mentality among their children. No matter what else is being taught, no matter what other subject you're embracing, scripture first. This is the most important thing you'll study. This is the most important thing that you'll absorb. You need to become familiar with God's Word. In any system of training that doesn't make Scripture the main thing, I, I, I don't mind saying is dangerous. It's dangerous. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, You have magnified your Word according to all your name. God magnifies His Word for a reason. Because it's of supreme value. And that's true of our kids. That's why we created Tasting the Truth, those catechisms that we, we talk about on Sundays. That's why we encourage our families again and again to... Um, invest those catechism. It's just one attempt at the theological side of education. Uh, you can't give your children too much Bible. I'm confident of that. Teach them the promises of God in Scripture. Teach them to memorize His Word. Push all those things on your children at a young age. I'm, I'm for that. Number seven is this. Train your children to pray. I'm going to read an excerpt from JC's book, um, Duties of Parents, on this subject. Uh, so helpful. Listen to this. He says, Prayer is the very life breath of true religion. It is one of the first evidences that a man is born again. So I mentioned earlier, almost this is me, not JC Ryle, that your kids delight in God's word is a marker. Well, JC Ryle is saying this is another marker that they're truly in Christ. All right, so I'll continue on with JC's words. It is one of the first evidences that a man is born again. Behold, said the Lord of Saul, in the day he sent Ananias to him, behold, he prayeth. He had begun to pray, and that was proof enough. Prayer was the distinguishing mark of the Lord's people in the day that there began to be separation between them and the world. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 4.26. Prayer is the peculiarity of all real Christians now. They pray, for they tell God their wants, their feelings, their desires, their fears, and they mean what they say. The nominal Christian may repeat prayers, and good prayers too, but he goes no farther. And this is the end of the Ryle quote. Prayer is the turning point in a man's soul. Our ministry is unprofitable, and our labor is vain, till you are brought to your knees. Till then, we have no hope about you. Teach your children the simple means of coming to God. Often use the means, this means, prayer, during times of difficulty in their life. Exemplify prayerfulness for them. And for God's sake, never reject an opportunity to pray with them. Nothing is more important in that moment than to pray. Angie and I can tell you that one of our great delights is when our kids come into our room with a matter of concern for them. And ask us to pray. Pray with us. Will you pray? And sometimes they just enter in. They don't make that request. They don't ask for prayer. And Angie's usually the first one to jump on in and say, do you want us to pray with you? Or can we pray for you? I can't encourage you enough to jump on those opportunities. To exemplify and to show them what going to God looks like. Number eight. Train your children in the importance of the church. Or to say it another way in the congregational gathering of the saints. Tell them of the duty and privilege of going to the house of God. Tell them of the blessings of God that are unique to church gatherings. 
tell them of God's special presence on Sunday worship. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. 25 is the, the verse that we're familiar with, right? Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. But I want you to hear the two verses that precede that. And I want you to think about those from a parenting perspective. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not, forsake, not forsaking our own assembling together. As this is, excuse me, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't want you to miss all the congregational responsibilities and privileges listed in the text. In the church is steadfastness, according to Hebrews ten twenty three, hope, faith in the promises of God, spiritual stimulation to love one another, to to perform good deeds, and Verse 25, encouragement. We get an encouragement that you can't get anywhere else except the gathering on Sunday morning or afternoon for us, right? You can't get it anywhere else. God's presence is unique to those gatherings. So let your children know how important church is. Teach them with your actions not to make vain excuses for not coming to church. Let me say that again. I want everybody to hear it. Teach them with your actions not to make vain excuses for not coming to church. Teach them that so long as health allows, church attendance is honoring to the Lord and beneficial to the soul. And to miss the Sunday gathering is to the detriment of your soul. Number nine, train your children in habits of wisdom. I'm going to be fast with these. There's so much here. I can't do it, but I want to save some time. All right, train your children in the habits of wisdom. This is where I consolidated several of J.C. Ryle's. So I'm going to list five uh, habits of wisdom that he, that they're separate chapters for him. The habit of faith, we should instill faith to trust God's word above their own opinion. So we should be telling our children all the time, God's word is right, not you. We ought to show them where they're wrong using God's word. We should do that. And we should teach them that they should trust God's word. And I'll take that a step further. To trust in your judgment as parents, as wisdom, as you follow Christ. I'm seeking God's face on your behalf, son. So listen to what I'm saying right now. Number two uh, of train your child in habits of wisdom. The habit of obedience. Disciplining may cost you hardship. And your children... Many tears, but the labor is worth the effort. Be consistent in your, in your instruction. Listen, uh, Angie and I, this is a wrestling point for us, not between the two of us, but as parents together. To be consistent, if, you, if you're not, inconsistency creates confusion and fosters rebellion. Demand, listen to this, willing, cheerful, and immediate obedience. I'll say it again. Demand, willing, cheerful and immediate obedience anything less than that is quite honestly is disobedience any form of obedience that doesn't strike at the heart is really not obedience at all this willing cheerful immediate obedience will expose the wayward heart of a child and give you as parents clear direction and understanding how to shepherd them so if you demand that and they don't give it, they're showing you right then, right there, an opportunity for you to shepherd. I must shepherd this moment. Number three, the habit of always speaking the truth. The devil is the father of lies. His schemes are not always 180s of the truth. Satan operates in perversions of the truth. He just wants to knock you off a notch. It looks a lot like the truth, but it's not quite the truth. And if he can get you on that path, then the degrees of separation begin to grow with time. Perversions look true. They sound true until gospel light exposes them. Being slightly off the truth is a dangerous lie. And the evil one accomplishes his work with deception. So let me say this. Be fierce in addressing this sin in your children. If they're lying, deceiving, perverting the truth, be very vigilant in addressing this. 
this is a dangerous place to be because if they're allowed to, to uh, swim in those waters of deception, it's only going to grow. And they, they, they learn uh, very quickly how to be uh, deceivers. And then it becomes very difficult for you as a parent to know what's true, what's not true, what's actual in their life. So address it at an early age, always teaching them to speak the truth. All right, I'm behind on time, so i got to hurry. Teach them the habit of redeeming time. Idleness is the devil's best friend. It's the surest way to give opportunity to do harm in your child's life. An idle mind is an open door, and the enemy will put wicked thoughts in your mind during these moments. Uh, I believe this is um, one of the um, very apparent um, pitfalls in, in homes today. I believe mindless entertainment fits this category of this idle mind, not redeeming the time. Television, Netflix, video games, phone apps, we could go on and on. In and of themselves, there may not be anything wrong with it. But if it becomes time-consuming, time it begins to dominate their affections, then uh, we're letting their idle minds be tempted in a thousand ways. We're called to do His will, to carry out His commands, and idleness is at war with active saints serving the Lord. We want to teach them to serve the Lord. This, this doesn't mean that there's no such thing as downtime or rest. We know that God commands rest, right? Resting, replenishing in a way that gives life and fresh energy to serve in the way that He's called us to serve. I'll add that we should teach our children to value time and timeliness. Uh, I think that's part of redeeming time. All right, number five in the training and wisdom, and then I have one last thing to hit. Uh, the habit of moderation, it kind of goes with the last one. Um, this is one of the trickiest forms of parenting. Uh, again, Angie and I wrestle with this a lot. Uh, when it's not something that's a wrongdoing, right, it's easy to punish bad behavior. You see it, that's wrong, it's clear, we address it, there's a consequence, we're done. But what about these things that they enjoy that may not be helpful if there's too much of it, an overindulgence, the habit of moderation. We want to teach moderation. I urge you to be aware of overindulgences. What, what are the things that your kids really enjoy that they may make God in their life, that they may use to consume all their time? Train them not to pursue things that have little eternal value. We must not give away to the wishes of our children at the long-term cost of their soul. Learn to say no to your children on things that aren't sinful unless they're used out of moderation. That's not easy. Uh, we always have to wrestle through that at our house. Number 10, here's the last one, and then we'll have about 10 minutes instead of 15 to talk. Train your children by example or with your life. Don't, po don't pollute the truth of God's word by living in contradiction to it. Many are the obstacles here. But faithful obedience to God is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel our children will ever see. I'll say it again. Faithful obedience to God is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel our children will ever see. Instruction, advice, commands will profit very little if we are not living a life that matches what we preach. As a matter of fact, it causes harm or it can cause harm. Listen to the sober uh, quote that I found by Archbishop, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, never heard of him, Talatson. This is what he says. Uh, the name doesn't matter so much, but what he says does. To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them to the way of hell. You want your actions to match your words. We're always influencing those around us, especially our children. The force and power of the example we set is immense. This is not a call to perfection. Your kids will see you sin. They will see you respond in ways that aren't helpful. But recognizing your own imperfections and weaknesses allows you to accept those of your children. And exemplifying humility, brokenness, and the ability to repent before your children preaches an accurate gospel. They don't need to see perfection, nor should you demand perfection of them. But they ought to see your sinfulness when it's on display being repented of. So that they too know how to respond to the sin in their life. 
Our children learn more by the eye than they do the ear. Imitation is stronger in, is a stronger principle than memory. Let me say this, and I'll, I'll finish with uh, a, a, another short word of prayer, and then we'll have about 10 minutes for Q&A, or less, maybe five. Uh, let, me pray, let me say this and then pray. The next two weeks, we'll have other subjects to cover. I certainly want to stir our thoughts about parenting, um, and I want us to encourage and help one another. Um, that's, that's, that's the aim, to help one another with gospel aim in parenting. Let me pray. Father, we all feel the inadequacy, and we plead for your help. Help us as a church to shepherd these children well. And help us, especially as parents, these children in our homes, to be raised in a way that honors you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Five minutes. Because if I say five, that really means seven or eight, like the rest of the seminar. So five minutes. Um, Any question or thought? I'm not promising an answer. I may defer to somebody else in the room. But any question or thought on parenting? covered it all. Tommy, thank you, brother. Ask away. One point you said, discipline with grace. Can you elaborate more on what you mean by that? Yeah, I tried to tie to that. I, I, I know it uh, the statement I made was the way that God disciplines us with grace, right? He's, he's patient. He's kind. Uh, we know that we were in rebellion, right, against God. And God very easily could have, with all of humanity, just wiped us away, right? But he sent his son sacrificially to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He demonstrated grace to us, right? Like real grace. We didn't earn that love from God. But he extended it to us. Well, I think we parent in the same manner, right? Uh, even when our kids do things that uh, aren't worthy, uh, that aren't right, that are wrong, that, again, discipline is necessary, but uh, we extend that, that sacrificial grace to them. Uh, we're reminded of how God treated us, so we want to treat them with that same kindness, gentleness. Uh, it, punishment. God... God there's punishment. There's, there's hardship that comes with the discipline that God gives us. So it, to, to discipline with grace is not devoid of discipline, right, of consequences, of even firm consequences. But it needs, to be loaded with, it needs to be loaded with grace. And, again, I said it was tied to the point right before that, in love. And so I'll use the example again of my own father. Uh, I, I, got, I, got, I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. And time and time again, that discipline, that punishment was followed up by words of affirmation and affection, uh, demonstrated and spoken. Uh, I think that's how we, we parent with grace. Derek. I have a, have a comment, and then I have a totally separate question. Um, and, and the comment is just to share what's been really helpful to me, not because I'm an example to follow, but just like, oh, wow, that actually is a very faithful North Star that I can follow. Um, in, in parenting, I think it was the theological concept that the father-child relationship did not start with man. The father-child relationship images something that has existed for eternity past. That's its purpose. So God makes us in his image, and then just like his triune nature, we now have the ability to see and experience what the father and the son have experienced for all of eternity. And it's meant to be a reflection of that. And one of the reasons that's been so helpful is a sermon offered by a professor and pastor named Joe Rigney about being the smile of God's delight for your child. And that the father, like obviously this is easy to see, looks upon the child that looks just like him and finds the perfect reflection of himself staring back at him. And because, and I'm, yeah, that was hard for me when he was born. 
But it helped me to see what God experiences as the Father. He looks upon the Son. He sees beauty and perfection and glory looking back at Him. And He is filled with delight and love for the Son. And that is the, the primary point of the Father-Son relationship. It's so much that in Isaiah, He describes the Son as the one on whom my soul delights. Before He sends Christ out into the desert to be tempted. Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. All the devil's temptations are about, are you truly the Son of God? If so, do it by prudentness. And so I just, I, I love to think, like, when I respond to my kids about, like, they screw up, um, or they're trying to understand what the word of love, what word love means, and all these other definitions, how does the Father treat the Son? And that's been really helpful to me, and I'm happy to share that sermon there. Um, my question is that I've frequently heard from people saying, uh, you only discipline your children, but you don't punish them, right? So, and, and what I mean by like discipline is aimed towards, uh, it, it, it's restorative in its nature, right? I'm not, I'm not administering justice to you. It's not you did X and that deserves Y. It's you did X and now I'm administering Z so as to reform you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not transactional. And I guess where I've struggled with that, or my question is, is, is would you agree with that idea? That we only are disciplining our children. That we're not ever to punish them. If you do this, then you get this to show you that actions have consequences. But instead, you're, you're receiving this discipline so that, as an instructional tool. And my hesitation, I'll tell you so that you can answer your answer, or whoever's answer, is I fear I'm not teaching my kids that there are real consequences in the world outside of our relationship. And so trying to teach them that idea. Yeah, man, that, 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 there's a lot there. Uh, I said I wasn't going to answer every question that I'll, I'll lean on other folks. I'll give a partial answer to that, and then I'd love to hear from other people, let other people chime in on that. Um, I don't know if I'm, I, I understand entirely the distinction because in my mind, um, it's just like church discipline, right? There's formative and there's corrective. Um, formative is best, I said in the seminar, like wooing, winning, loving uh, them into the right place is the, that's the primary aim. But if that is, if, that's breach if, if in the midst of that, this loving, wooing, trying to uh, instruct, form, there's, there's rebellion and there's sin. Um, well, then there's corrective discipline. And I, personally, I think that punishment is part of corrective discipline. There's a, there is a consequence. Um, and it's not me trying to administer justice. It's me trying to correct this, this wrong thinking, this wrong behavior. Um, and... Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm not satisfying the answer, so I'm happy for somebody else to, to chime in. Yeah, and to clarify the question, because I know football to say it, it was that specific idea there. God no longer responds to us with justice. He only responds to us with discipline. And so he gives us what we need, even in the form of pain, in order to shape us. But it's never, you did this, which deserves that, because that's been covered by the cross of Christ. So we should never look at our children and say, you do this, that deserves that. But instead, you did this, and so I'm going to do this as a means of teaching. Yeah, no, I think that's part of disciplining with grace. Uh, we're, not, we're not trying to make them pay a price. We're trying to correct the behavior. Yeah, and so that's the question I'm asking, is, is that the right mindset? I never give my child something you did this, and the price for that is this. Well, I, I, I don't know. Again, I, I, I want anybody to chime in here, but this is what I would say. Uh, I, I think sometimes the known consequence, so I have said to my kids, if you do this again, the consequence is, and this is it, right? And if they, they do it, then I have to follow. I have to be consistent. I have to be a man of my word. This is the consequence, right? There is a, a, a punishment. But again, the aim is to correct the uh, uh, not just to correct the behavior, but to, to point them, to shape, to shape that heart, right? To, to end what's harmful to them. Anybody want to add to that? Thoughts? Because Dave Dacus, please chime in, my brother. So uh, the association that we have in 
based on the, uh, both the profession of faith and demonstration of repentance that leads to the work of love. And, and there's that association with us in the body of Christ, where we associate with another based on, on that. Profession and then fruit, fruit of profession. But an association that you or I may have with our, with our offspring is, is not that until there is that profession, like you said. So that association there is while Paul said, you and I are responsible to provide for our own family, especially We're already past our time. That's my fault. Uh, church, uh, our service is about to begin. So um, I'm, 